You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast between myself, Arthur Parkinson, and my good friend, Sarah Raven. This week, Sarah is with me, and I am joined by a guest. She's an absolute heroine of the British ex-commercial hen, Jane Harworth of the British Hen Trust. And she founded this trust quite a few years ago now, before battery hen rehoming became something of a quite trend-setting thing to do if you want to start keeping chickens. And today, the Hen Welfare Trust has rehoming days all over the country of birds that are from ex-commercial enriched cages, so they're indoor birds, and also birds from free-range farms. So it's all about encouraging people to give homes to hens that have reached the end of their commercial lives, but will go on laying lovely eggs in people's gardens and small holdings for years afterwards and these hens make very friendly and lovely chickens to have in your lives so i'm really excited to talk to jane today about her life and how she has helped thousands if not millions of hens have a happy retirement hello jane how are you I'm okay, thank you. Yeah, on this drizzly Monday afternoon. Yeah, you're in you're in Devon, aren't you? I am in Devon. It's dreary Devon today, unfortunately. But yeah, I am in Devon. It's a beautiful part of the country. I'm very happy to be here. Mm. So when when did your life with chickens start? Oof, depends how far back you want to go. It started when I was probably well, nineteen actually. I was still a teenager. And all sort of angry and sort of what can I what crusade can I jump on? And I um I saw a panorama down on the factory farm and I kind of saw, you know, the veal calves and all various things, the pigs in crates, uh, flowering crates, and of course I saw the chickens in their battery cages and it was the chickens that got my attention really. So from that age I started campaigning. I'd never actually seen a live chicken at that point. But um, I started campaigning, writing to my MP in various institutions and didn't actually get hands on a chicken until I was 34. It took a while, but that's what kick-started me. It was seeing that programme and um, that passion that I obviously was slowly developing for chickens um, just came to fruition when I moved to Devon in 94. And I had a small piece of land and my husband at the time said to me, go get yourself some chickens. And of course, I didn't just want ordinary chickens. I wanted to go and rescue some chickens. So I just trawled country lanes until I came to what looked like a battery farm and just wandered in. And the farmer was actually really quite amenable. And even from that start point, actually, I was always really friendly and non-confrontational. So he wasn't threatened by me in any way. And I asked, could I have some of his chickens before they went to slaughter? And he said, yes. That was it. That was the start point. I went. I, I asked him for a dozen. Asked him for a dozen. And when I went to collect them, and the first time I'd been in a unit, of course, I completely lost count and ended up with thirty-six. So it was squashed into my mini metro, <laughs> uh, which I'd never allow now. I'd never allow that to happen now. But um, it was lucky for those thirty-six, really. So I took home thirty-six chickens. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I remember it well. 
Can you describe for me what a battery farm looks like? I know what they look like, but I think a lot of people wouldn't know what a battery or a boiler chicken farm look like as they as you drive past one. What what are they like when you go in the, these units? Well, in the, when I started out, it was the old style battery units. So uh, they were very small cages, which were not much bigger than your average cat basket, so like a large cat basket, and that would house four chickens, up to four chickens, so they couldn't sort of stretch their wings out fully. And they couldn't really settle down with any privacy to lay an egg. It was a pretty miserable existence. They're just surrounded by wire on all six sides. Nowadays, of course, they're now in what's called enriched cages. They are better than the old star battery cage. They are typically big enough to house up to 80 chickens. So you can have an entire flock within a cage, but they're still surrounded by wire. They don't have anything other than the perch to sleep on that's solid underfoot. Say you have 80 birds in a, in a cage environment, they can move from one end to the other, so they can flap their wings, they can stretch their legs, they have got a nest box which probably would accommodate three or four hens at a time. It is better, but it's not what we would like to see for chickens. You know, we, we know the curious creatures that they are. They're busy, they're interactive, they've got a lot to be getting on with. They're very social. And so we, you know, we want to see all of them outside of cages and outside free ranging. But yeah, they're very, when you go into a unit, you could go into a unit that houses anything up to sort of 100,000 birds. So you're literally looking at an entire wall of chickens either side of you. And it goes on and on as far as you can see. So some of these units are huge industrial scales. And I have to say here that it's the farmers have chickens in these conditions because that's the most cost-effective way to produce eggs. And whilst we as consumers want cheap eggs and cheap food, that's the way that it's done. So, you know, it's down to us as consumers. I never, ever think it's fair that we point fingers at farmers. Yeah. And why? how do you make your relationships with, with farmers? I think that's one of the nice things I like about your organisation is, is you haven't chosen to demonise farmers at all. If anything, you've... You've obviously made very strong relationships with farmers that enable you and your teams to go into into battery sheds and, and take out end of lay hens for rehoming. How have you gone about creating this network of, of rehoming sites through the UK for these end of lay hens? Well, it makes me laugh when I look back at it, actually, because I'm not a very large person. In fact, I'm really quite a small person. And I used to go to conferences, so egg industry conferences and events, and I'd have a little badge saying, at the time I was called Battery Hen Welfare Trust, and I'd see these big burly farmers sort of taking a physical step back from me as if I was a threatening person. And I think they just expected me to be confrontational and they expected me to sort of berate them and give them a hard time, really. And, of course, I did exactly the opposite. And I just said, you know, I'm not here to give you any grief at all. In fact, I'm here to understand what you do, why you do what you do, how can I help in a positive way. And it it was just having that attitude, really. I had a few lucky breaks. I met a, a very key contact at one of the farms and he really liked what I was trying to do. And he trusted me. He knew that I wasn't going to take photographs in units because I've seen some pretty grisly things. But where you've got a lot of animals, you unfortunately have you know, some unpleasant things. You have illness and accidents and all sorts of things. So 
I think he he trusted me completely and was very helpful in opening doors. I opened a lot of doors myself. And that's it's culminated in me doing a lot of campaign work with the industry and, you know, television appearances with the industry. I did one only last week, actually, for ITV regarding avian flu. So there's lots of things where I see common ground and I love collaborating. And I just, for me, it's all about awareness and all about making consumers understand how they can influence hen welfare and at the same time how they can support the British egg industry. So, yeah, it's all about that positive campaign. And of course, the, the, the nicest outcome through that relationship is you, you're able to secure retirement homes for all of these hens. So, what is the difference of an ex commercial hen versus a point of lay? pull it that you could go and buy at say 18 weeks old what are the main differences once a hen has come out a, a unit of being commercial she's laid laid eggs for about you know 65 72 weeks what are the main differences when you get your hens that you're rehoming so you have birds that sort of are in the commercial sector uh, at, at end of lay uh, they're called spent hens, and they will come out with very large combs because they've been so productive that denotes health, but their feathers may be very sparse, and, and it really does vary. So we could go to a free-range unit and bring out birds that are, frankly, ready for the oven. They've not got a, a feather to their name, our oven readies, as we call them. Or you can go into a cage unit and you can bring out birds in good condition because the farmer's got his feed mix right or his, you know, his husbandry is very good. So the physical differences are the feathers and the comb. In terms of what you get from the hen, you know, I know the birds that we rehome, we rehome sort of roughly 50 to 60,000 a year, depending on avian flu impact. They'll go on laying really well. I mean, I've got a very small flock of 12 hens and my production rate is about 70%. And yet I've had some of those birds for four or five years. Wow. So, you know, they re- if you feed them well, you look after them well, you know, they'll carry on popping out delicious eggs. Yeah. I think the feed is really important, isn't it? And it's something that often is overlooked. If you're, if you're going to feed your girls, they've got to be on quality good feed, haven't they? Without a doubt. And, you know, I don't know whether I'm allowed to say you can cut it if I'm not, but I wouldn't use anything other than the Allen and Page or the smallholder range. I love it. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> Do you? I have interesting. In the early days of the charity, when I used to sort of look after poorly hens myself, uh, I used to use that feed um, and make up little sort of boost balls with a, a handful of porridge oats to make it sticky and tasty and put weight on. The number of birds that I turned around from, you know, pretty much on death's door to being vibrant, healthy birds. So I have to say I'm sold on the product. But one of the other things I think it's important to say is that people make the mistake, unfortunately, of feeding scraps to their chickens. And they see it as a way of just sort of, you know, using up stuff that's left over. And A, it's illegal. But B, the, the second thing you do is you muck up their lying cycle. You know, we wouldn't feed our kids scraps or constantly allow them to have chocolate. So, you know, it has to be a balanced diet. It's no different for your chickens. Mm. The thing that I've found, Jane, I don't know if you if you ever add it to to your layers, mash or pellets, is um, cod liver oil. I find helpful for feathers. Have you found that? I uh, do. No, I don't actually. I don't. You learn something every day on this uh, with chickens, don't you? You don't. You really do. Might try that then, Arthur. Yeah, it's interesting. You've mentioned free range commercial birds sometimes coming out looking 
more oven ready than battery hens. Is that is that due to the flocks of free range birds being so big or is that to do with heat stress? What can cause a lot of feather pecking within commercial systems? It can be either of those. It can be a number of factors. It can be that the feed ration is not right. So, and I'm no, I'm no expert nutritionist, but you know that if the birds haven't got enough protein, one of the things they'll turn to is feather pecking as a source of protein because of the uh, protein in the feather shafts. So, once you get that behaviour within a flock, that very quickly establishes a feather pecking routine within the flock and inevitably you will end up with a, an entire flock that is feather pecked. I mean, as, well, yeah, I don't know whether you will know actually, but birds in a commercial unit will actually occasionally go on the cannibalise. And that's grim. It's really grim. You know, I've spoken to farmers that have gone through that and it's, it's upsetting. Nobody wants that. So it can be down to the nutrition. It can be down to lighting. If you've got a unit that has a certain sort of level lighting to encourage birds to go in and lay in a, in a quiet, light-controlled environment, but you've got a shaft of sunlight that, that comes through, that can make for very flighty birds, and that also can cause injurious pecking eventually. Things on the ground can cause issues, whether there's a lack of friable materials so that they, they, they want activity. If it's raining, they're like us. Chickens don't want to go outside, so they need to have a certain amount of what's called friable matter so they can have a good old scratch and get down and have a dust bath. If there's not enough of that, again, that can lead to boredom, feather pecking. That leads to sort of ongoing problems. So it's a number of issues. Hus- husbandry is, you know, it's a skilled management of a large number of living creatures so it's not just a, a case of chucking in some food and water no and your your charity does an incredible job for any hen keeper whether they've rehomed hens or whether they've got hens of any breed of highlighting back garden proper serious hen welfare just like you know the rspca for years has highlighted dog and cat rabbit welfare you're really flying the flag of of good hen husbandry and you've even set up um a poultry healthcare line, haven't you? Yeah, we have our hen helpline, which which is actually being used incredibly by you know vets, by people that don't keep just our chickens, they've got any chickens. We get a lot of international hits on our health pages on our website. We were actually able to help a hen in Africa a couple of weeks ago. And that's wow. great because I want us to be able to do that. You know, we, we are we are becoming the sort of the go-to place for for support on you know all things hen keeping. So yeah, I'm really really proud that we're doing that. You know, we've I don't know whether you're aware, Arthur, but we've been working with the University of Nottingham for about five years now. Long-term project which COVID knocked about a bit, but. Um, We've been working with them on a, a course. It started out as a three-week course and it's now developed into a five-week course and that is aimed at vets and vet students or anyone with a really, really keen interest in chickens. And it, it sort of covers everything from sort of husbandry management, the difference between the egg laying and the commercial sector, but then we go into very detailed information on diagnostics and treatments, surgical procedures, I'm really lucky down here. I've got the most amazing vet, Italian vet, and she will do anything. She'll try anything. And we've been able to video her performing never-done-before operations on birds. 
and she's extremely skilled at it. So she's going to feature in our, it's called the Massive Open Online Course, and free for people to tap into. And we're really excited about it. We launched that at Easter. And, you know, the reason that we approached the University of Nottingham is because we knew there's a huge gap. And vets, as you probably know, don't have much training on on chickens. They are only taught on chickens in a commercial sense, not in a pet sense. And, you know, we've proven that there's a growing demand for support for pet hens. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I've had some very interesting times in a veterinary waiting room with with pet chickens and the, the response from vets who don't know about chickens has been incredible. In fact, I think it was Pam Ayres who wrote a poem about having a battery hen whose wing had been torn off by a fox through the wire and she describes taking the hen to, to the vets. It's quite a funny um, poem. You should all look that up on YouTube or wherever it is. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So what's your vet? I, I actually use, well, I hope I'll be able to use your, your emerging veterinary helpline and guide to wonderful poultry vets across the country, but Definitely. I use a vet called Victoria Roberts, actually, oh, right. okay. who was the only poultry vet I could find. I've never met her, but I, I she does an online, she was one of the first poultry vets to have a website, um, and she did a wonderful book called Poultry at Home. She started up somewhere that you'll probably have heard of called the Domestic Fowl Trust. And she wrote lots of books on poultry healthcare, but she was a registered vet. And so she does um, chick vet. So if I have an emergency or if I'm worried, I can send off, you know, I pay for an online consultation. Um, But she's old school. I'd imagine she'll be retiring soon or maybe she already is retired. But I'm sure she'll be really pleased with what you're doing because, yeah, vets just don't seem to know about birds. I mean, I've taken budgies and canaries to vets and they don't know about them, let alone chickens. No, we, we've proven that the demand is there and the chicken, pet chicken, is now the fourth most popular pet in the UK. In fact, globally, it's, it's come up the ranks from six. And we know that there's a lot of vets that are keen to know more from the interest that we're getting um, from here and overseas. And... Mm. Why shouldn't birds have the same sort of support, you know? And people really are seeing them as, as pets now. They, you know, whether you have them as uh, egg layers, predominantly as, as you know, some, a bird that, you know, you, you get the, the added bonus of having a poached egg on toast for your breakfast, or whether you want them simply because they're fluffy and soft and really good at interacting. Like any other animal, they need a certain level of support when they, they sort of fall forward. So... Yeah, we're really thrilled that this is coming, finally coming to fruition. So, yeah, hopefully by Easter we'll be up and running. Yeah, fingers crossed. That'll be really good. Good Easter eggs for everybody with hens, if that's the case. But with poultry, I, I do find that prevention is better than, than cure quite often. What would your top tips be for prevention of, of hens becoming ill? What are the things that people should really consider before they get chickens in order to keep them healthy and, and happy? I think the real basics for me are commitment. It's not, not an animal you can take on lightly. They're like any other pet. They need daily care. You've got to make sure you give them uh, security. Obviously, you get predation by daylight now, not just overnight. So you've got to make sure that you're, you've got the funding to sort of invest in something secure and solid. Good food, we've already talked about that. There's no doubt in my mind that good food equals a healthy hen, happy hen. 
productive hen, fresh water. I would also say it's crucial for people to know how to handle their birds. And we've got a section on our website which gives you uh, tips on, you know, points out all the various parts of a chicken. And we always advise people, if you're worried about a hen standing a bit hunched in the corner or something like that, pick up a healthy hen and do all your checkpoints, that might be the comb, the crop, the keel, the vent, and then pick up your poorly hen and tell us what those differences are. And inevitably, we will pick something up from those checkpoints, what the difference is. And of course, that's a really good starter for sort of being able to diagnose a hen. I'd say those are the real key things. In terms of prevention, yeah, you could do some really simple things. You know, one of the things I learned, <laughs> you know, after a few years of fighting red mites is just to use diatomaceous earth all the time. Perhaps when it's really in the depths of winter, you don't need it. But as soon as the sun comes out, out comes my big tub of diatomaceous earth. And although occasionally you may have a, a small surge in numbers or a small infestation if you carry on with that preventative measure and you keep going you keep going I've, I've touched wood here I've never had a bad infestation since using something like that and of course it's clean environmentally friendly the birds don't mind it it's it's good for them so yeah there are basics a worming program another essential we wouldn't dream of not worming our cats and dogs or chickens need worming too yeah people don't realize do they not really, no, people don't realise. And, I, you know, we've got lots of information on the website that hopefully is all the time sort of, you know, raising awareness, you know, raising the educational levels like you. We have um, articles in magazines, which is a really good way of reaching people. And, but yeah, it's just so much fun, so rewarding, and it's not difficult, is it? No. I have to ask, what is your garden like, Jane, though, with, with your chickens? Because people will be screaming, listening, going, oh, but I'm a gardener and, you know, the chickens just ruin the garden. Have you got any advice for people with expatriate hens in their garden? What, what, what would your top tips be on having a lovely garden with a few hens within it to keep both loves in life harmonious <laughs> that's a tricky one i would say that you need to give your hens as much space inside their run as you possibly can because if you have got prized petunias and things like that chickens don't differentiate in fact they think they're being helpful in trying to deadhead for you but they kind of don't get quite the concept of deadheading so my chickens i'm lucky i've got a big front garden and then I've got a big separate back garden and mine are in the back garden where the plants are sort of fewer in numbers and the hens don't really make any damage. What The worst I have out there are some nice dust plants and they've made a lovely dust plants just outside my kitchen window, which is a full length window. So whilst I'm having my lunch, there's nothing nicer than seeing my girls having a nice dust bath it's really really relaxing actually so you know there's ups and downs with it but it's like anything if you get a dog it might dig might dig a hole it's amazing watching them isn't it it is it's lovely i love it yeah especially for hens that haven't felt soil yes exactly and, and we find generally that when you first get them out they're so exuberant in their sort of you know their new life that they've just 
this new world that they've just landed in, uh, that they are particularly sort of keen on helping in the gardening front. But it, it settles down. It's, it really does settle down. And should people be worried, Jane, when they get their, their ex-battery enriched cage hens, they're not going to be cold, are they? They, they will be resistant as long as they've got a nice, cosy, well-ventilated hen house. They don't need... I've seen photos of grannies knitting jumpers for hens and things like that. They don't need that, do they, or, or do they? No, they don't. No, they don't. It's people no. being really kind, and we appreciate that sort of kindness. Yeah. But there's nothing worse for a chicken than being put in a jumper. It then rains, the jumper gets wet, yeah. you've then got a bald chicken in a wet jumper, Worse than that, they'll try and get it off with their claws. They then get their claws caught in the yarn and they end up falling over. I've seen it so many times and it doesn't help the birds. Unfortunately, if we do have what we call our oven readies come out during cold weather, that cold weather is unpleasant for them for a little while. We ask people to you know, keep them in a barn or keep them in, in a, a smaller area where there's deep bedding, they can nestle down close get close up together but that cold weather will actually spark feather growth very quickly very quickly so almost the best thing you can do is 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 let it happen naturally if you've got a bird that's slightly under the weather we would always encourage people to put them under something like a heat lamp where you can control the heat you can lift the heat away um, as the bird starts to feather up and then you can pull it away altogether so it's very controlled but no, please don't put jumpers on chickens. It's not a good look. No, no jumpers for chickens. I don't like those silly high-vis vests that you can buy for chickens as well. I don't know where the idea for that's come from. I don't either. Pass. <laughs> I think it's just a... I don't know. don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've not, not sort of seen any chickens walking down the road after dark. No, feathers are the best ventilation and clothing. Exactly. Uh, amazing what, what the pole... I mean, I remember... You couldn't even buy a small bag of chicken feed when I started keeping chickens when I was six. You had to buy, you know, a 30-kilo bag of of layers mash, and you'd probably have to order it in from a pet shop, or if you couldn't, you'd have to go to what they'd call a feed merchant and beg for them to order it because all they got was horse feed. Whereas now you can get your lovely little five-kilo bags, can't you? And and your organisation has has helped to make pet hen keeping in vogue. I, I just love the fact you can go into any good well-stocked pet shop now and find a range of poultry sundries and feed it, it really is incredible so i do i do want to thank you for helping backyard hen keeping become in vogue and become easier than ever to do properly so thank you jane and you got a an mbe in 2015 for all your services to chickens so i suppose i want to end on what is an average day like for you in the life of, of you and the and the trust well, an average day now is very different to what it started out as. You know, in the early days, I was planning my next hen collection and I would be doing hen collections every single weekend myself. And uh, I, I don't do that now because I am actually sat in front of the computer developing the charity. So sometimes I miss the old days and quite like to get stuck into, you know, I, I loved nothing more than going into a unit and pulling hens out of cages and taking them on to a better life. And I'd be walking up and down the aisle saying, you're coming, you're coming, you're coming. And I just loved it um, because it was such a, the feel-good factor was so high. But nowadays I'm much more effective 
in front of my computer. Um, I've got an amazing, amazing team of volunteers, about a thousand of them. Thank you to each and every one. And I've got a fantastic sort of staff at Hen Central, as we call it. And they're just, they're so dedicated. They are so dedicated. I'm really grateful to them because, you know, this isn't all just being done by me. It's a team effort. So, you know, it's great. Well, thank you, Jane. And if you want, please do log on to the British Hen Welfare Trust website to to see all this wealth of information. There's also a really fantastic online shop that they do. So please start buying your poultry feed and sundries from them to help the trust. And you can also see Jane in action because some lovely person has uploaded The Secret Life of Chickens, which Jane was on um, quite a few years ago now. But you can watch Jane with her chickens. It's an amazing program about chicken behavior and you see jane going into a battery farm with with jimmy dorothy and, and rescuing some hens it's a lovely thing to watch on a a cold spring day so please watch that and please check out the british hen welfare trust and maybe consider giving some hens a lovely new lease of life this year thank you jane for joining me thank you very much thank you Well, what a wonderful chat about the deer battery hen and it certainly made me want to rush out and adopt at least a dozen and if any of you do then you'll be able to find lots of really wonderful advice on the british hen welfare trust website next week i'm off not liberating battery chickens but i'm going to be listening to sarah talking to the authors of Palestine, a cookbook by sammy tamimi and tara wigley so join sarah then for an episode of wonderful cookery discovery. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.